So glad to see so many of you here and those I'm not able to see online, I'm sure I'll be glad to see you too if I could see you. Uh, I was informed last Sunday that if my glasses fog, then it's because I'm not wearing my mask properly. So hopefully no fogging today. Okay, let me get my slide up. Let's pray first, let's pray. Lord, we want to pray for focus in our hearts and in our minds to hear what you have for us today. I pray, Lord, that I'll be faithful to the preaching of your word. Lord, whatever work that you want to do in our hearts, would you do it? Would your spirit convict us, Lord, into action, even as we leave later? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I think there's some problem with the slides. It was tested just now, but yeah, it should. It should be showing. Okay, anyway, let's begin. Uh, last week, we saw the origins of Samuel, and uh, we saw how Hannah asked the Lord for Samuel and made a vow to set Samuel apart for God's service as a Nazarite. And so we've gone into this whole book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. Uh, both Elkanah and Hannah, Samuel's parents, they eventually give Samuel to the service of the Lord. So they fulfill the vow that Hannah made uh, to God when she prayed and asked for a son. Now Samuel wasn't a Levite, so he wouldn't be allowed to perform a priestly function even though he served the Lord. Uh, he was probably just a, a helper of some sort, a bit like Eli's uh, PA or intern or something like that. Okay, so uh, Hannah would go on in chapter 2 to pray a prayer or a song uh, where she praises the Lord. Okay, so that is the picture of the immediate family of Samuel. People who worshipped God regularly according to his laws and kept their vows to him. Now, before the Bible continues on with the life of Samuel, it, focus on, it focuses on another family that stands in contrast to Samuel's family, and that is Eli's family. Okay, and that brings us to today's passage and the big idea, which is that God is honoured by our service when we know Him and love Him above all else. Okay, let me repeat that. God is honoured by our service when we know Him and love Him above all else. While I allow that to sink into you, okay, that God is honoured by our service when we know Him and love Him above all else, I will restart my app and hopefully this will solve the slight problem. Yes? No? Still no, huh? Yes, it's showing signal here. 
Yeah, so now you know we are back to normal life in-person service. Huh? And we get all these technical hiccups. Still nothing? Okay, never mind. Uh, we will continue. Okay. Okay, the only thing that we miss from the slides are nice pictures. <laughs> and uh, the efforts that go into the slides. But other than that, God's word is still valid. Huh? Okay, so I hope that you'll be able to pay attention, maybe look at my face, and uh, uh, hopefully no fogging on my glasses. Okay, let's continue. So God is honoured by our service when we know Him and we love Him above all else. I want us to look at three things about the family of Eli today. And the first thing is on the abuses of the sons of Eli. Now, Eli's sons, they are named Hophni and Phinehas. And the sons of Eli, they are descended from the tribe of Levi. And so before we, we continue on into the passage today, we need to look at the Levitical context, okay? We need to understand a bit more about this tribe of Levi and their function and, and what that means for us today. If you remember from the time of Moses and the Exodus, the Levites were set aside, uh, set apart from the other 11 tribes, okay? So they were different. They were special. They were set apart specifically to serve the Lord. And the priests of the, the sacrificial system that God put in place to help his uh, people to worship him properly, these priests could only come from the tribe of Levi, okay? And so this setting apart of the tribe of Levi made them holy, okay? It made them special because they alone had the responsibility of handling the tabernacle, okay, where God's presence was and offering sacrifices and everything else that had to do with formally worshipping God. Now, one more thing that set them apart was that they didn't even uh, own any land or they didn't do normal work to earn an income. They depended on the other tribes who were supposed to share with them. They had cities in the land of these tribes and when the other tribes gave their, their tithes to the Lord, so they're supposed to give 10% of all that they produce uh, in, in uh, grain or cattle and that sort of thing, when they gave their 10% to the Lord, the Levites were given portions of these tithes and offerings. So meat, grain, and those sort of things. So the Levites themselves didn't have full-time jobs to earn money and income 
like all the other tribes. Instead, they survived, they lived off the 10% that was given to the Lord. And so this is the reason why, as was read to us just now in chapter 2, verse 12 to 14, it talks about this whole thing about taking meat for the priests. Now, technically, the priests were supposed to get a portion of meat that was sacrificed to the Lord. However, there are quite a few ways that uh, the sons of Eli broke God's law in the way that they went about getting this meat for themselves. And so there were several violations that the sons of Eli uh, went through and made. Firstly, the snatching of meat with a fork is not something that's prescribed in the law of Moses. Okay? It's, it, we, we don't read anything about how the priests are supposed to be getting this meat. But it's not just about the fact that they, they plunge a fork into a cauldron or a pot uh, and take whatever piece they get. It's more that they took whatever meat that they got. Okay? And uh, this is particular to note because in Leviticus chapter 7, verse 34, it tells us that the priests are only supposed to get the breast and the thigh portions of the meat. And so if you read back Leviticus, uh, there's all the uh, long instructions on how to properly offer the sacrifices and everything. It involves, okay, if you're offering a goat, you're offering a, a bull, whatever, uh, the, the breast, after you, you offer it to the Lord, you, it's a wave offering, and then after that, the priests get it and they can eat it but only the breast and the thigh. And so, they weren't allowed to just take whatever cut of the meat that they wanted. But probably the biggest offence is found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 15 to 16. And so, as was read to us just now, they demanded through their servant, who sounds a bit like a gangster, huh, the way she says, you know, give, give the meat or else we're going to take it from you by force, uh, Eli's sons demanded that the meat would still contain the fat on it before it was boiled or burnt up. Okay, so what is this big deal about the fat? Oh, you know how when you, maybe later during lunchtime, you go to a hawker place that's well ventilated, hopefully, uh, not, and not a lot of people socially distant, uh, and when you go to a hawker store and you smell the chakwetiao. Uh, it smells heavenly, uh, right? Uh, and then maybe after that, okay, for lunch, uh, for dinner, for dinner, you, wow, that chakwetiao was so, smelled so good. I want to go and get chakwetiao. And then you went to a hotel and uh, they serve halal chakwetiao there. Okay? Smells different, right? Tastes different also, right? <laughs> Uh, you know why, right? Because the, usually the, the hawker one, I understand uh, in Penang, they use pork lard, right? So basically pig fat and they fry. So healthy. And so that, that gives the, the fragrance, that gives the flavor that people love. And so that comes from the fat. And so this smell of fat being burned was considered to be a... a pleasing aroma to God in all the sacrifices that meat is involved. Okay, so according to uh, the law given to Moses, uh, all the sacrifices that involves meat, the fat is always burnt 
as a pleasing aroma to God. Okay? It's not because God enjoys eating fat, okay, that he's just very unhealthy and he has no cholesterol problems. Uh, but it's because of what fat represented to the people back then. It was considered the best part of the meat. Okay, the fat. My arteries are clogging just thinking about it. But that's what the, the fat parts of the meat represented to the ancient world is the 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 the, the, the is limited, okay, and it's also the best part of the meat. And so burning up the fat meant that you're offering it to God alone because no one else can eat it after it's burnt, right? And is destroyed so completely, no one else would be able to receive it or share in it. The best was reserved for God, not just the remnants of whatever uh, people wanted to give to Him. And so this means that Hophni and Phineas, they weren't just disobeying God and how He said, uh, how He prescribed the worship should take place and how the sacrifices should be done. Hophni and Phineas, the sons of Eli, they were actually stealing from God, literally, because the fat belonged to the Lord and they stole from Him. Now, we may not be so brazen as to go against God in the same way, you know, as Hophni and Phineas, but I think we face the same core temptation that we face the temptation, this desire to keep the best for ourselves rather than to sacrifice it to God. Now, thousands of years later, Judas would face the same temptation when he considered, you know, remember how uh, Mary Magdalene, she wanted to uh, pour perfume on the feet of Jesus and Judas was like, hey, that's such a waste. Imagine what that perfume can buy, okay? And so maybe we don't burn fat, maybe we don't pour perfume, but in offering our bodies to God as a pleasing sacrifice, in all that we do for the glory of God, maybe even in, in the sort of offering of worship that we give Him in our praise, uh, we, we have different ways in which we offer sacrifices to God now, okay? Not in the same sort of uh, sacrificial system where we kill things and blood and fat and all that, but our whole lives are an offering unto the Lord. When we do something, we do it unto the Lord. When we sing praises, we sing it unto Him. But especially, I can think of two resources that we find more valuable than fat or perfume today, and that is money, Okay, of course. And secondly, can you guess? Time. Time. For most of us, it's not easy to offer God either one of these things or both of them, money and time. In fact, for those of us who still have steady jobs over this pandemic, I dare say that time is even more valuable compared to anything else. Right? Because... Time is limited. It is a finite resource. And so this is certainly my observation when it comes to uh, looking for people who will be willing to commit their time to serve the Lord. You know, whether it's worship enablers, 
or as church leaders or BB officers whom we've been looking for since last year, a whole host of other things that require human resources. Now, I want to be careful that I don't come across as guilting us into just doing things for church. Okay, that is not my point. My point is not that, hey, we should be uh, sacrificing all our time and just serving God in church all the time. That's not my point. My point is that if we're honest with ourselves, we'll find that offering to God the best of ourselves, whether it's our time or money or attention or comfort, offering God our best is a very real struggle. And that goes all the way back to Cain, right? The, the third man? Oh, no, no, the second man. Yeah, the second man who was ever created, Cain. Uh, his rejected offering near the beginning of the Bible, it was rejected because likely he did not give of his best to the Lord. I uh, won't pretend to be exempt from this temptation. You know, everyone struggles with this desire to withhold the best for ourselves to some degree because we have to live with our selfish and sinful nature. And we are allowed to struggle. We are allowed to struggle. But let's not be caught unaware and unknowingly and unintentionally offer God the remnants of our sacrifices to Him. You know, whatever form it might be, uh, money, time, effort, attention, you know, comfort, pride, whatever. Okay, let's give God our best because He deserves our best. Now let's come back to Eli's sons. Another violation of Eli's sons was the fact that they had sex with the women at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Okay, so this wasn't read just now, but it's, it's uh, in, in chapter 2. Uh, and they even had a reputation for it. So people had heard that these priests, sons of Eli's are priests, huh, that they were sleeping with these women at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, these women were not their wives. So it's already some sort of sexual immorality. And as priests, that's you know, a big deal. But it's quite likely that Eli's sons may have treated these women like temple prostitutes. And that was very commonly found among the Canaanite nations surrounding Israel during that time. And so it's no wonder then that 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 calls the sons of Eli scoundrels. At least the NIV like, uses that word, scoundrels. Uh, the Hebrew for this word scoundrel uh, is literally translated as worthless. Okay, so maybe the expression we'll use today is good for nothing. Mo yong. Okay, that these sons of Eli are good for nothing. Verse 12 also tells us that they had no regard for the Lord. And this is literally translated as they did not know God. They did not know God. And again, the, the Hebrew word for know here is the, what I've been mentioning all along, this language of relational intimacy. Not that they didn't know about God, but they did not know God relationally. So although Eli's sons were given the position of priests because they, were, they, they had Levi as their ancestor, 
they had stripped their tasks of any real meaning due to their lack of knowing God for themselves. And so, how were they to know God? Uh, back then, the, the Bible, or, or rather Scripture, and ready access to God and all that is very different from us today. How were they supposed to know God? Well, they had His law, okay, so knowing His law was part of it. But many parts of the Bible talks about seeking God and obeying God's commandments as avenues to knowing Him. And so they could have known the Lord through seeking Him, number one, and secondly, obeying His commandments according to what they knew in the law. Now, this is a good place to pause and reflect on the following question. And uh, I'm going to have to repeat it <laughs> many times. Maybe you can uh, write it down if you need to look at it many times. And so the question is, what is one thing that you can start doing or one thing that you can do differently in order to better offer God your best? Okay, what's one thing that you can start doing or do differently in order to offer God your best? And for the children, what can you do better to show God that you love them? Okay, what can you do better to show God that you love Him? Okay, so let me repeat. Huh? What is one thing you can start doing or do differently in order to better offer God your best? And for the children, what can you do better to show God that you love Him? Okay, we will take two minutes to reflect on this question. Those of you here in person, just reflect, social distancing. Uh, those online, you are free to discuss with one another. Two minutes.
All right, let's move on to the next thing about this family of Eli, who is Eli himself. Uh, Hophni and uh, Phineas, the sons of Eli, they are responsible for their actions. Okay, so the fact that they sinned, they stole from God, uh, and they were sexually immoral and all that, they are responsible for their actions. But our passage for today doesn't treat Hophni and Phineas as individuals who are held accountable separately from Eli. Chapter 1, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, introduces the sons of Eli by name, okay? It mentions Hophni and Phineas, but it makes sure to mention that they are also sons of Eli. In chapter 2, throughout all the abuses that are attributed to Hophni and Phineas, their names are not even mentioned, okay? They are known as the sons of of Eli. They are referred to as Eli's sons until verse 34, where in the prophecy it's mentioned that Hophni and Phinehas will both die on the same day. And so what this tells us is that Eli is being held responsible for their abuses. It's not just Hophni and Phinehas who are responsible. Eli, as their father, are responsible. Ah, praise the Lord. Okay, slide is up. Uh, we are still in the previous slide. Previous, previous. Ah, great. Uh, next one. Mm, okay. Hallelujah. Thank you, team. Okay. Okay, so, uh, yeah, Eli is held responsible. Thanks. Eli is held responsible for the sins of his sons. Okay. But why is this? Doesn't the Bible tell us that children won't be punished for the sins of their parents? And you know, parents won't be punished by the sins of, uh, for the sins of their children? Well, yes, that is true. But in Eli's case, his sin was not in his action, but in his inaction. You see, Eli neglected three of his duties. And the first is his duty as a parent. In verse 29, God accuses Eli of honouring his sons more than God. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have witnessed a, a badly behaved child making a nuisance of themselves in public. How many of you have seen that? Okay, uh, maybe they're kicking the seat of the person in front of them in an airplane. Uh, or maybe they are just screaming bloody murder into the ear of somebody, uh, a stranger's ear. And the parent just allows it, allows it to continue without really doing anything about it. Okay, maybe a little bit, but then nothing much happens after that. And okay, there may be many reasons for why this sort of behaviour goes undisciplined. Okay, maybe the parent doesn't want to cause a bigger scene. Maybe they don't, they, they just want their child to tire themselves out. Okay, you let the fellow scream until you get tired, uh, then quiet already. Or, or maybe they're just tired of dealing with the child because this happened 10 times already today, okay, and they have no capacity to discipline their child anymore. Well, whatever, they, uh, whatever the reasons, even if there are good reasons for allowing the misbehaviour to continue, the parent is honouring their child or themselves more than the stranger who is being kicked at 
or, or screamed at. And so in the same way, whether Eli had good reasons for allowing his sons to do what they, they did against God, he was honouring them more than he honoured God. And God held Eli accountable for that. Now, you may be familiar with the family discipleship emphasis that our trainee and the conference has been promoting for quite a few years now, right? It's called the D6 Movement after Deuteronomy chapter 6. And specifically, verses 5 to 7, God commands His people to love Him completely, but not just that, to pass that love expressed to Him through obedience to His commandments, to pass all that on to the children, right, to the next generation. Now, remember the tragic state of the period of Judges, right, where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And Judges chapter 2, verse 10 tells us why. Because the faith was not passed on to that generation. And so the cycle of sin and disobedience would just continue on and on because people did not know the Lord. The generation before, the one that had witnessed God at work through the later parts of Exodus, the one who had seen God help them and deliver them into the promised land uh, throughout Joshua's conquest, this generation neglected their duty as parents. Our friends, we no longer live under the law given to Moses, but the same principle applies in passing on our Christian faith. I'm not just talking about, you know, send your children to church school or MYF or baptism class. I'm talking about passing on your faith, the faith that you have. So you, you pretty much need to ensure that you have a faith to pass on in the first place and that it is in a somewhat uh, mature state and that you pass on your faith, you pass on your values, you pass on your desire to offer God your best. I remember being very encouraged nine years ago when I was back, uh, first time I was uh, a pastor here in Penang Trinity, nine years ago, I discovered that the parents of a youth who was going through his Form 5 exams supported and encouraged him to come to church, not just for worship service on Sunday, but to even serve God as the drummer, okay, to go to practice, worship practice, and then come and serve God that Sunday in the middle of his exam week, Form 5 uh, important exams. And for those of you who know him, that was Daniel Song. Lah, okay? So to me, that was seeing Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 in action. And so friends, for those of you who have children, and grandchildren, especially when they're still young and listening to you, pass your faith on. Now you might be thinking, I don't know how to do this family discipleship thing. You know, uh, I, I don't feel equipped. Well, uh, our church will be working towards equipping parents in this area. Okay, and we hope to start something soon, uh, formally. But even before that, let me ask you this. I'm talking to the parents now. When you first became a parent, did you know how to do the parenting thing? 
How many of you, when you first became a parent, you knew how to burp your children? You knew what to do to deal with their rash? Or you knew what food to look for and what food to avoid when they outgrew milk? No, right? You, you didn't know those things when you first became a parent. And so what do you do? You read books. You Google. <laughs> you ask somebody who was already a parent and had experience in parenting. Uh, you didn't know how, but that didn't stop you from seeking and learning because you knew that all those parenting skills were important and that you can't just, uh, I don't know, and let, let the child just deal with it, right? Let them learn on their own. No. And so when you thought that you, and, and then maybe when you, you thought that you had the, the, the handle on the baby thing, you knew, okay, I know what babies need. I know what babies want. They grew up and they became toddlers. And that's a totally different ball game. Okay, and then you knew, okay, I know how to handle children. I know how to handle, how to childproof my, my house and make sure they are, they are not getting into danger. Then they become teenagers. Totally different set of challenges. But you never stopped parenting. And eventually they grew to be mature adults. And so for those of you who know and love the Lord, that is the same duty that you have to your children, to bring them up in the ways of the Lord to, so that they can grow into a mature follower of Jesus Christ. Don't miss the opportunity while you still have it. And for those of you who feel that you've missed the window because your child is all grown up and they're adults. Well, it's never too late to try something. If it's not too late for an 80, 90-year-old man who has stubbornly refused to, to uh, hear the gospel for over 70 years of being married to his Christian wife, if it's not too late for somebody like that, then it's not too late for your adult children. You might not be in the same position or influence. The method may change. But you are still a parent. And the call to pass on your faith remains. Now coming back to Eli, he neglected his duty as a parent. But not just that. He neglected his duty as a high priest. You see, as high priest, Eli had the responsibility of overseeing the rest of the priests. And his sons were priests. And so Eli was responsible for ensuring that they carried out their priestly duties properly. Now in um, chapter 2, verse 23, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 23, he does rebuke his sons. Okay? So we see that he is not pleased with what they are doing uh, when they, they, he hears that they have been sleeping with the women at the entrance of the tent to the meeting. But there is no mention of him rebuking them for how they handled the meat that was sacrificed to the Lord. And they also carried on with their behaviour with the women anyway. It's possible uh, that Eli turned a blind eye to them stealing the fat portions of meat. And maybe he was even uh, partaking of them because God accuses Eli and his family of fattening themselves. And uh, if you look at chapter 4, it's mentioned that Eli was heavy, okay? It's, it's not often that the Bible mentions somebody is heavy or fat or anything like that. 
And so, possibly Eli was a recipient of these fat portions of meat. And when God asked Eli, okay, uh, the, the prophet confronts Eli, and, and God, through the prophet, asks Eli, why do you scorn my sacrifice? Okay, why do you scorn my sacrifice? The Hebrew here is literally, why do you kick at my sacrifice? Okay, so just imagine that picture. If you read this in Hebrew, why do you kick at my sacrifice? That's how their treatment of the sacrifices of God were regarded. Uh, even if Eli wasn't part of the whole meat scandal, he neglected his duty as high priest by allowing two priests to continue treating the sacrifices the way they did. Thirdly, Eli also neglected his duty as a judge. Now Samuel is the last judge of Israel, but Eli was also a judge, the second last one. And one of the roles of a judge was to ensure that justice was carried out. Okay, they, they led the, the, the nation, but they also ensured that justice was carried out. And if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 to 21, there is a sentence, a punishment attached to stubborn and rebellious sons who don't listen to their parents' rebuke. Okay, and the sentence was to stone them uh, and not allow the, the evil to spread. Okay, and so although uh, it, this may seem a little shocking, aha, my, my kids don't obey me means I kill them. Uh, <laughs> I throw stones at them until they die. But you must remember that in the context of uh, Israel, when they're just forming as a nation, uh, all these values are still being caught and taught. And so if one family is allowed to have rebellious children and two families and three families and four families, eventually the culture spreads until the whole nation becomes rebellious and no order. And so that, that was then, uh, okay? That was the, the, the law and, and order for their context. But this describes Eli's sons, these rebellious, stubborn sons who don't obey the parent, won't listen to them when they discipline them. And we know that Eli rebuked them. And Eli, in his capacity as a judge, he allowed their stubborn rebellion to continue. He did not carry out what is in the law. Okay, so Eli is considered responsible for the actions of his sons as a parent, as a high priest, and as a judge. And that's why the prophecy of judgment is not just made against his sons, but against Eli's entire lineage. But before we come to that, let's pause and consider this question. Firstly, uh, what is one small way you can pass on your faith to the next generation? Okay, so not just to those with children, but also those who interact somehow with people of another generation. What is one small way, simple way, they can pass on your faith to the next generation. And for the kids, how can you help your parents teach you about God? Okay, we have two minutes for this.
Okay, let's go to the last thing about Eli's family, the prophecy against the house of Eli. A prophet comes to Eli, tells him about how God has set him and his family apart to serve God in the sacrificial system, right, as Eli's descendants. And then Eli is held accountable for his neglect, as we saw earlier. And as a result, Eli's lineage, his descendants, will eventually be removed from the priesthood altogether. Hophni and Phinehas will both die on the same day, and a faithful priest will replace Eli's descendant. Now, the, the sons of Eli perish when the Ark of God is taken in chapter 4. And the rest of the prophecy is not fulfilled until the time of King Solomon. And so, during the time of King Solomon, Eli's descendant, one of Eli's descendants, the high priest Abiathar, okay, his name is Abiathar, he served along King David. But he would later conspire uh, with Adonijah, who is one of David's sons, and Adonijah attempted to uh, take the throne from Solomon, okay, who was also another son of David. And so because of that, Solomon banished Abiathar and replaced him with Zadok the priest. Now, of course, this prophecy of a faithful priest is only temporarily fulfilled at this time uh, by Zadok. And this is a flawed priesthood. The, the priest still very much uh, had their own flaws. But this prophecy would ultimately eventually be fulfilled in the high priest that is without flaws, a high priest that never fails. And this high priest also turns out to be the anointed one that the, the priest is supposed to serve, and that is Jesus. Now, as I was preparing today's message, I kept thinking that, I kept getting confused uh, and, and thinking that the names of uh, the sons of Eli were Nadab and Abihu. Okay, you know who they are? Nadab and Abihu? They were Aaron's sons. Right? The first priests who went against God's command in how they carried out their priestly duties. Okay, they, they offered uh, unauthorized fire in some way, they went against God's command, and the result was instant judgment. Instantly, immediately, they, they, they died before the Lord. And as I compared these, so Nadab and Abihu were descendants of Levi, okay? I, caught, I compared these two descendants of Levi with this other set, this other pair of Levi's descendants many generations later, the sons of Eli. Uh, when I compared these two pairs, what struck me was how God didn't have to wait so long in order to carry out this judgment against their abuses. They could have instantly been struck dead. And so that was my personal God shot for this passage. And so for those of you who are following uh, the, our church's Bible uh, reading plan for the year, the Bible recap, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, this God shot, this snapshot of God's character. This is what I saw from today's passage. That God is a holy God who has every right to execute swift judgment on His people, especially to prevent further corruption 
But in His grace and in His mercy, He gives opportunities to repent. He gives opportunities for heroes of the faith to be raised up to deliver His people. He gives opportunities for people to have new and faithful relationship with Him. And so the same thing continues to be true for those who have strayed away from Him or maybe have never even experienced knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ. God has every right to allow us to continue on into the consequences of sin, which is eternal death. But in His grace and His mercy, He gives us this opportunity to repent, to turn away from our sin, to embrace Jesus as Saviour, to be cleansed of all our sins and to come to know God personally through faith in Jesus. So let's pause for our last question to ponder and discuss for today. And that is, what comes to mind as you ponder God's abundant grace? What is one way that you can respond in gratitude? And for the kids, how does God show love to us even when we don't deserve it? And so parents, this is an opportunity to uh, help your children understand what God's grace is. Okay, we have two minutes. In conclusion, I'd like you to know that God is honoured by our service when we know Him and love Him above all else. And so would we seek to know Him better through faith and obedience? I'd like to challenge you to be a disciple-maker, especially of the next generation. Even if you're not a parent, find a way to pass on your faith. 
and do offer your best to the Lord. That's all he deserves. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. May I invite you to stand. And even as we sing this song, let's ask God to search our hearts and to purify whatever impurities He might find as we sing this song before Him as a prayer that God would purify our hearts to be holy and set apart for Him in all that we do.